0: Welcome to the CFO Leader.com podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Castro. Really, really excited for this episode. I have Ken Kaufman joining us, and uh, we're going to be talking about everything remote finance teams, right? And so um, Ken is a, a CFO that has developed and built and by necessity built a 100% remote. He is a he is a CFO, but he's he himself is remote, and he built a 100% remote um, finance team. So uh, we're going to learn all about that, how he did it, the structure, the thought processes. Because he, this isn't something he inherited. He built it from the ground up, and so I'm really excited to uh, discuss with him about his processes, his thought processes, and and the way he thinks about building that. So Ken, thank you for joining us.
1: Oh, Anthony, thanks. I'm thrilled to be on the show and great to connect with you again.
0: Great. Well, I'm going to set the, uh, we have a lot of material to go through. So I'm just going to kind of set the stage and we'll dive in. I'll give you a couple of minutes to kind of introduce yourself. But, um, you know, Ken, you know, Ken used to live in Texas and you correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you used to live in Texas. You had a local or primarily local finance team, right? And then circumstances in your life changed. You had to move to Utah You had an open discussion with your CEO, explained to him that, you know, you had a a need to move to Utah and the CEO was supportive in your effort to do that and basically gave you a free reign to say, hey, whatever you need to do, however you want to structure the team, you know, go ahead and do it. And uh, from there, you started embarking on this journey of basically constructing your ideal team in a remote environment where, you know, to, you know, to get things done. Um, you want to introduce yourself and kind of talk a little bit more uh, about that?
1: Sure. Uh, and, and again, thanks again for having me on. I am excited to be here. So the journey started in 2018, um, where at that point in time, my fp a team was myself, and I had one analyst. And he's smart and had a lot going for him. And he came into my office and said, Ken, I need to move five hours south uh, I've found another job, I'm leaving. And I and I was a little bit surprised. I didn't know this was going on. He had pre- family pressures. And um, what was interesting is I found, I had to find a replacement for him, hired somebody local at the time and he moved. And, and I said, can you hang on part-time? Like we'll, we'll pay you your hourly rate. I know we're gonna need to transition a bunch of stuff over. And uh, so he did. And after a few months, I was really frustrated with the hire I made. And it was at the absolute best candidate I could find. And it turns out as I was talking with him and sharing my a few of the frustrations about, you know, how this new analyst wasn't picking up on things. He said, Hey, by the way, Ken, I'm not loving my new role. And I said, would you be willing to work remote? Um, and, and let's figure it out. And so that was, that was my first foray into it um, was 2018. And then my move came in 2019, the, the need to move, you know, an 18 hour drive away from where I, I was used to you know, going to work every day. And, it, that helped open my mind to maybe trying to figure it out. Um, and that's, that really kicked off the process. And then what happened once I started doing remote work, not just having some of my team members, but when I was remote, that started to really open my minds up. And I think the underlying principle that I learned very quickly is, as soon as borders are not boundaries, you can start to find massive opportunities, massive talent bases, and you know, an ability to really grow and scale something faster than if you're stuck building a team within a 30-minute driving radius of wherever it is that you are located. Um, and so that's that maybe that's a good way to just kind of intro it and, and sort sort of set the table for you know, where, where I'm sitting today, which is my FPA team is entirely remote. And my accounting team is uh, half remote. Half remote.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I've, at my previous company at, at Simplest, you know, by necessity, uh, the skill set that we were trying to acquire was very specialized and singular. And we didn't have the option. We would go into a state just to get one person because that was the only, I mean, that, that, was, that was the talent. That was who we could get. And so, um, you know. The, the necessity to, to find these specific people forced us to, you know, develop these processes and whatnot, much like I'm sure what you went through. Um, so let's, let's dive in a little bit. Can you talk with us a little bit? Talk to me about your team right now. Who's there? What are the roles, uh, structure, just so people our listeners can get an idea of what the team looks like as it, as it stands?
1: Sure. So we've we've grown a lot in the last several years, and it's put a lot of pressure with our industry and some of the things that we're trying to tackle. It's put a lot of pressure on my team. And so I actually have an FPA organization now of eight people. And we did just have some turnover. So we are going to have to, re- so we're actually at seven, but we should, when fully staffed, be at eight people. Um, there's a director who works remote out of Florida. Uh, I have an FPA manager who, who, who works uh, remote out of Chicago. And then I have an MA manager uh, because we, our team really, in, any inorganic growth that's going to occur. We do all the analysis and our business development person isn't a finance person. Um, he's very good at building the relationships and getting people to the table to want to partner and do those things. And so on the fp side, I have a full-time person that is just focused on all inorganic growth. Um, and then below that, we have uh, five additional analysts. One of them actually is 100% about making things look beautiful, visualization and just getting things to where it's, end users who are not finance minded can consume information. So that's what my uh the FPNA side of the house looks like. Um, of those, uh, everybody's remote. All eight are remote, and three of them are currently offshore.
0: Okay. Wow. Okay. And this is the whole FPNA team. And then you said the accounting, you have some accounting people who are onshore and then you have a couple who are supporting also on a remote position as
1: well. That's correct. And and they're really the residual that are great team members from when I went remote, that there's no reason for them to have to either go remote or let them go because they weren't willing to be 100% remote. Um, So they're legacy folks uh, that are part of the organization. You know, one of them has been with the company since its founding, almost since its founding 11 years ago. So she's been with the company over 10 years and, you know, no reason to let those folks go. And they're actually in a hybrid mode. Everybody can Work and usually works a couple of days at home uh, a week, and then a couple of days in the office a week.
0: Okay, great. So, and then in addition, from what I understand, you also have a virtual assistant, right, that assists you. Correct. And then, uh, as I just learned right now, you also have a project manager assigned to you, the finance work.
1: Is that correct? That's, that's correct. And she works remotely as well.
0: Okay. All right. We're, we're going to talk about that for sure. Okay. <laughs> because I really want to understand how you have a project manager and what they do on, on an ongoing basis. But let, let's talk right now. So you have this organization. Obviously, it's complex. You have a lot of people. They're all across different different places, time zones, different time zones. So tell me, how do you manage your monthly close? How are you keeping everything organized right now?
1: Yeah. So we use a project management platform called Monday.com, which is much like an Asana or uh, maybe Trello would be a much watered down version, but it's a, it's a basic project management um, platform right now. I'm I'm not super thrilled with this. It's taking us about 12 business days to close. And I do, I, the team is now starting on uh, an objective, which my project manager is driving to get down to five days. Um, But right now it's literally, we have every task broken out. We define with within that project management platform, what day is it required? Is it contingent on any other activities of close? For example, you know if you don't have your bank accounts reconciled, then you can't do a whole bunch of other things in the close. So we have all the contingencies called out and it's then organized by day. It shows who the lead is, who, who's who's in essence the responsible party. Who are the other specialists that may be helping to support that function? And then there's ways to go through and click when it's done. And we have a calculator tool down at the bottom that literally just tells us of all the tasks in close, and they're very very detailed all the way down. Uh, at any given time, I can see what percentage complete we are.
0: Right, and I mean to your credit, you know your company, Community Dental Partners, consolidations, which are obviously complex and time-consuming, play a big part in your monthly close process right you know closing other books rolling them up and then closing up the parent books right so i'm sure that obviously puts some strain in terms of the times and and organizing everything
1: absolutely we are currently consolidating within our main core business 50 entities and we have another 30 entities that are being consolidated outside of the system but within the next few months we'll get those all merged into the system because we're actually doing a formal merger
0: okay All right. I love that. Now, when we were talking initially um, in kind of our intro call, you had said something to me that kind of struck me very strongly and said that, you know, hey, if you're a CFO, you need a virtual assistant, right? And that it plays a critical role, at least for you in what you're doing in your role as CFO. Can you talk a little bit about what made you decide to get a virtual assistant and the role that they play right now in your organization?
1: Sure. I really appreciate that question. And I have to back up and kind of set a principle around this. And it is, if there's two types of cfos there's the cfo that maybe is still wearing part of a controller hat still wearing part of a director of fpna hat Um, the, the assistant becomes more and more and more effective as you become a CFO that's relationship based, that's making connections in the industry, that is constantly having meetings and engaging with new folks, talking to the next set of private equity groups that want to understand our industry to potentially build relationships for future financing opportunities. And so the admin assistant Really, because I felt like I was just constantly looking at my calendar and trying to schedule things, move things around, make sure my one-on-ones were set with the team, and getting a calendar that was very protected that would allow new, innovative things to come on, but also I had the right areas protected so that I could I could support my team properly as well and be serving them and helping them to be successful in um, what they're being asked to do. And the admin assistant is just somebody who is right there tackling things. They're She's all over my email, she's all over my calendar. If anybody's asking for a meeting, she's asking me if I wanna do it, when I wanna do it, how long I'm willing to commit to it or should she respond back in some way. And then again, anything touching the calendar, uh, she stays right on top of. And then with other little time, little projects, she can jump in, she's good with Excel. Uh, she helped us, we fell behind on monthly close when we did a system conversion a few months ago. She jumped in and was downloading bank statements and she just is, uh, she's, she's just jumping in and helping wherever she can on administrative tasks. Okay,
0: that sounds fantastic. Tell me, um, so I, I think that a lot of finance people suffer from this concept of, like I call you know financial guilt, right? You know, they see all the financial, you know, documents, they see, you know, the the performance of the company. And sometimes it's hard for finance people to spend money on their own departments. Right. They they look at it, and say maybe the company's struggling or has a lofty goal that they're trying to achieve and they think, well, you know, Hey, I, I, if I allocated dollars, maybe more to the sales org or engineering or this or that, that would help the company achieve this. And I think a lot of, uh, I mean, I, I know that I suffered with this, uh, especially at my last company is just that I felt guilty asking for help because I knew that there were other areas of the business that were struggling and needed assistance. And I'd always kind of felt that, you know, Hey, they needed it more than I do. Right. Um, but to your point, um, you know, by, by spending this, this this amount for your virtual assistant, it has enabled you to spend more time on the business, to not spend, like you say, managing a calendar and this and that. And it's allowed you to be more of a strategic leader in the organization to give what the company needs, right? Um, as opposed to, you know, just, you know, you yourself having to do that and then not dedicating that that precious time to the business, right? Is that kind of your, your thought on
1: it? That's exactly right. And, and the reality is, as soon as we start to have even a hint of feeling like we're being a martyr, mm-hmm. meaning, hey, I'm I'm taking one uh, t- taking a sword to the side for the team, to, so that the rest of the team can be successful. We're actually starting to build up resentment, and and we're hindering our ability to, I think, really um, to to think effectively and to th- and to look at things fairly. Because that stuff ends up coming out at some point down the road. That's my first point. The second point is, look. You, as a CFO, are hired to be an executive of an organization. You need your head clear. You need to be thinking. It's just, in fact, it's a conversation my CEO and I have all the time. It's, we need just empty space sometimes where we can think and ponder the really difficult problems we're trying to solve without that you don't get there and so getting the right protection and support around you so that you can effectively do that if you're not doing it i think you're hurting the business worse than if you do because if you're on your a game you're not chasing down a bunch of administrative stuff and you're truly thinking about the business fate how to grow how to change and how to how to drive you know um, higher profitability activities and projects it's um, i just I've seen the other side because I felt that way, like you said before, and I've seen, and and I feel what the other side's like, and it is so much more rewarding and it's way better for the business than going down the martyr road or, or building up resentments. Right. So let's say someone in the
0: audience is, you know, believes you and say, all right, I want to get a virtual assistant. What, what advice would you give them? Where do you look for a virtual assistant and more specifically, if you were searching for a virtual assistant, how would you identify one that's actually going to work for you?
1: Great question. I want to back up for just a minute to share a little bit more perspective. So in 2019, when I went remote and then we started looking at hiring other team members remote and we started looking offshore, we looked at Africa and we looked at the Philippines specifically. And we're actually right now starting to look at some things in Mexico for another part of our business. And I actually went on a trip to Africa and met with outsourcing organizations there and captured a vision of what types of things they do and how it works. And it's amazing because my journey, Anthony, it has it was not premeditated, but it turns out that every single piece was just expanding a new part of my mind and a new part of my mind to really understand how these things worked and how the employees thought in these other countries and those sorts of things. And so my advice, my, and a virtual assistant should cost especially if you go offshore, it should cost $1,000 or less a month. There's a way to do it. You can, there, there are websites to the Philippines that you can hire direct. There are other resources to hire into Africa and things that either are either direct or through outsourcing organizations. Um, the, the main thing that you need more than anything else is somebody who will just be proactive. You're not going to hire somebody that knows debits and credits. You're not going to hire somebody that is going to understand what a monthly closing process is right away. But if they're somebody who's proactive and they're willing to stick themselves out there, I've found that the the most rewarding part of these hires is from Africa and from the Philippines. They are so incredibly humble. They are so incredibly grateful for the opportunity. And one of my aha moments, um, Anthony, sorry, I'm rambling a bit, but I think you'll really appreciate this. My aha moment was when we were interviewing some candidates, it was actually for an analyst role. And I asked the question, like I always do in an interview, tell me about your future. Where do you see yourself going? Where do you wanna see your career progress to? And the individual said, I really wanna work for a great international company and get that international exposure. And here's naive me. I'm thinking, well, why would they wanna work for us? We're just a domestic company. We probably won't ever go beyond the borders of the United States and then click. Oh yeah, I'm an international company to them. And in fact, I'm a thriving company that operates inside the economic superpower of the world. He's actually talking about my company and being so thrilled and excited for the opportunity to get that kind of exposure. And so the humility and gratitude and the hunger that you get, they, if you, as long as you find that the rest of the stuff ends up working its way out and you just have to get dedicated time as a leader, you got to have a one on one with that assistant and constantly be communicating and expressing what you need and what you don't need. We are all the sum of what we choose to tolerate in life. Mm -hmm. So just stop tolerating and start identifying in each week, you know, be making a list during the week and, or you can just actually, I just message something to my assistant. Hey, say, I want to talk about this on Monday in our Monday meeting. I want to make sure we talk about this. I want to make sure we talk about that. And then I am very quickly not tolerating things that aren't working for me in the relationship or places where I know that she could be doing better and over time you end up with uh, an assistant that fits like a glove.
0: Right. Okay. No, that's fantastic. Uh, so that, that's great. Um, so great words about uh, a virtual assistant. Let, let's, let's talk now more about your team um, and let's talk briefly. Cause I, I think this is an interesting topic. You said you had a project manager. Can you just really briefly talk to us about why you decided to bring on a project manager, what they do and what's the point? Cause this is honestly the first time I've heard of a finance group having a dedicated project manager. So
1: you bet. So we think about the world inside of organization, uh, or, or I should say the contributors to the organization or employees as in three tiers, there are people who make it up. There are people who make it real. And then there are people who take the making it real, or make it reoccurring, and they keep it recurring, hmm. looking and seeing and need to be making things up. But what we struggle with is we think, hey, I've got this great idea. Let's let's automate this part of our process. Let's implement this new system. And then we throw it on our team who they're really good at recurring processes, but they're not very good at taking my idea and building it out into something that could become real, punching the holes in it, figuring out what it's going to take to make it work. Mm-hmm. And so the project manager sits right in that role. So when I'm in make it up mode, as well as I'm I'm teaching my team to get into make it up mode more and talk about, hey, if we did this, maybe we could improve you know, our close process by this, or we could help save the company money over here, or perhaps we could improve reimbursement rates over here. Um, as that comes, it all goes into the project management funnel and the project manager's job, first of all, is to never do anything that's recurring. <laughs> All they are doing is taking on new potential projects and ideas, helping organize them, and then working with our departments and others to figure out how feasible they are, building out an ROI justification if it's worth doing. And then when it's worth doing, then they lead through the project. And as soon as that project gets implemented, it gets handed off to the recurring team and they move on to the next. So they they are not allowed to do recurring tasks. They literally are just looking for all those improvement opportunities, helping to prioritize them, punching all the holes in it. figuring out, hey, it's a great idea, but once we get down here, it's a horrible idea. Let's get rid of it versus, hey, this one's actually filtering through and all our phases of project management are telling us this is a project that is going to be absolutely worth doing. So it's it's been very empowering because our teams are generally busy, right? With the month is over, they're working to close all recurring tasks. And then once they get through close, then they're catching up on everything for the month. And they are so busy with recurring responsibilities and meetings and other commitments that nobody is really thinking about every day. They don't wake up with nothing to do other than think about how am I going to help improve the accounting and finance functions?
0: Could you give me an example just just for our audience and for myself, of a project that you would give your project manager to go address, just like like maybe one or two ideas that they would run with to go and uh, investigate?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So over over the years, we're supporting over 70 dental practices currently. That's part of why we have so many entities and because each one usually requires a different like, one or two entities and so on and so forth. But over the years, we've we've been deferring the need to automate AP or the, just taking that project on. Um, And now it's proliferated to where there's a lot of manual process. There's a lot of paperwork and we need to just automate the entire process. So what, as a team, we sit down and we figure out, Hey, we, this is a project we're interested in. So what do we do? Project manager, go find all the companies that work with our software. Now let's whittle it down. Let's start having some demos. Let's start having some interviews. And, and she is handling all of it. We're just showing up as subject matter experts. And then she starts to map out the process and say, okay, what, how, what's happening with the current process and how will automation improve that process and what issues and problems are going to come up because of the way that we handle approvals on these types of invoices versus these versus these versus paper and everything else. Um, And so literally she is just focused right now on documenting the processes So, that we can ultimately make the right software choice and then build, and then she's gonna be the one building the implementation plan and the rollout. We literally go through discovery into um, building it into beta testing it, or going to Gemba to use a Kaizen term, and then going into uh, beta phase. And then launching, I can't remember, I think I messed the order up there, um, but then we ultimately go into a support role where it's done, it's implemented, it's automated, it's it, and it's handed off to the recurring team. They've been trained, change management has been handled with everybody who's involved in the AP process, and then it's done, and then project manager moves on to the next. Huh. Okay. Does that make
0: sense? No, that makes sense. And that's good. It's definitely fascinating, right? You can give, it's kind of like a, a, like a mini special teams, right? That's what it is. You hand off these projects, right? That you know need to be addressed, but you give someone that can kind of take the first step, do the requirements gathering, and then really help narrow in the vision to, to make it more effective, right? And get things done.
1: Yeah, and, and drive towards the ultimate ROI. Because a lot of times we think we have great ideas and they're actually not value add. <laughs> and so they're driving toward the numbers and making sure that it's going to create an outcome that as business leaders will be pleased with not just because we thought it was a good idea but because it's actually going to impact the bottom line got it
0: so let's talk about uh, you know coming back to this onshore offshore for the finance teams um first question i guess is how do you segregate between you know what makes sense or what would you, you know from your perspective uh, to look for an offshore role as opposed to just a remote onshore role is there any kind of idea or you know certain tasks are better for suited for offshore versus onshore this or that if that makes sense
1: yeah I honestly with offshore the biggest constraints we've found which again a constraint just means it's a potential block there's usually ways to solve for or build countermeasures around the constraint but the the main constraint is generally time zone Mm -hmm. and so to the to the effect that you know in Africa for example based on the Because I I work out of the central time zone, central time zone, they basically are staying in office till 11 p.m. or or 12 p.m. to the end of our 4 or 5 p.m. workday in central time zone. Mm -hmm. That's not horrible. Some of them actually love it. They love sleeping in the morning and having their morning times and then going to work, you know, mid-afternoon. Um, And so a lot of them work the same hours. Some, however, don't love it. They'd rather work in the mornings. And so it takes a little discipline, but it's to think through, hey, what are my functions in close and in the day-to-day process that just like software development? And I know, Anthony, you've got a ton of experience in this this space, but what, what could my US team be working on that at the end of the day, they're handing off to the Africa or Zimbabwe team or India you know if you're doing the software development stuff that they could then kick off their little handoff meeting they keep it going and then you go to the next um and you just keep going through that cycle day over day and handing off from one team to the next so so there's that element and then there's also the element of you know what are some functions it just doesn't matter what time of day it happens i, I don't care if bank recs get done <laughs> the, the daily bank reconciliations get done in based on a different time zone as long as by you know the start of the next day everything's reconciled and good, we're we're fine, um, and and we're not we're not falling behind. So time zone and understanding that, and and working that out with employees, there's a little bit on the holidays because I mean when I got into it, I, I realized quickly I want them to take their national holidays, not ours. Mm-hmm. They oh, yeah. they shouldn't have to take Thanksgiving in the U.S. off because <laughs> they're just going to be sitting at home by themselves while the rest of their families work and friends are at work. Right, and so. There's then making some accommodations around some of those important key holidays. And then the great thing is, is all my remote team that's offshore, they're all working on Thanksgiving while the rest of my team's at home. Like I, it, we're, we're in constant activity mode. And if there's something that really needs to get done or focused on over the Thanksgiving holiday, then the remote teams, the offshore team is all over it and making sure that it's ready for us when we get back in on Monday. So it's, it's we really like it and it's been complimentary. And we're using this in other parts of our business as well, not just the accounting and finance work, but we have revenue cycle, billing, um, compliance. We have a lot of other areas where we're getting support from these types of teams.
0: So what you you've described that it's more of finding people who can accommodate the time schedule, and then thinking strategically about you know what functions um, you know, and what is the the dependencies as you said of the different functions. What works better to be offshore versus onshore? I, I, I'm impressed that you didn't say anything about. You know, skill or anything—it's just more about like what what is the cadence and what what um, job functions are better done at night versus the day and this and that. Did you have any problems or finding you know like a quality or like technical skills that you were looking for?
1: Not at all. My very first um, sort of, not I wouldn't say senior level, but higher level hire was a controller. We hired from the country of Zimbabwe. He has two bachelors in accounting degrees. He has a master's degree in accounting. And he worked for Deloitte and Touche for five years. He's honestly more qualified than I might be once once you <laughs> add it all up. So that's, that. it's, it's amazing. Oh, and I was going to say one other constraint. When you go offshore, mm-hmm. you have the English issue. And if they speak yes. English, are they understandable and, and those sorts of things. And i found, you know, a lot of Africa speaks the Queen's English and there are some who speak it better than others. So you can weed, weed through that or sort through what you're comfortable with in the interview process. Mm-hmm. But again, my my uh, director of fp he says, man, all those people offshore, they actually speak English way better than I do. So it. it's, um, um, the, the language barrier is not, it's not very existent, especially in these countries where they're taught English, like the Philippines and, and most of Africa. Got it.
0: What about, um, uh, so the times, going back to the time zone, um, do you require that your offshore team be available at least maybe let me at the twilight hours of your workday? Maybe it's early morning from, you know, eight to nine, or maybe at the end of the day from four to five, so that there's some overlap, so they can have some coordination meetings. Like, how do you manage that?
1: Absolutely. At a minimum, we have that. At a maximum, they're working basically most of our working hours in the U.S., Okay.
0: Yeah. I know that, in, like in the Philippines, for example, when we went down there, they had a culture all driven around. They, they actually have laws there that protect employees, but they have, you know, like a night shift, a differential, and all that. But they, there's tons of call centers down there. They're just, they're, there's a whole culture of working their night, which is our day. Right. And so I think that's, that's, that's interesting that you found people and you, there has to be at least a minimum of some overlap to facilitate. Otherwise you're going to be on late night calls and all the time and your team's going to be working all the time. And so having that overlap, I think is, is obviously very important.
1: Yeah, that's right. And then scheduling those important team meetings where you want all of them available, scheduling them within those windows is, is really important just for team continuity Mm -hmm. because, like, you know, like anything else, like you end up being friend, becoming friends and uh, talking regularly and sharing the cat memes and the, you know, the different, um, hey, I, I went with my family to this really cool place this weekend. And, and they're, they're part of the team and they become like family, just like you feel inside your organization when you just get close with your team. And so it's also important just for that human connection piece, because if they ultimately, if those offshore employees don't feel connected to your team, their their engagement's going to suffer and you probably have a risk of turnover versus if they feel engaged and they feel like an important member of the team, big, big difference.
0: Let's talk about equipment real quick. So for your remote onshore teams, do you you know, provide equipment, do you ship it out to them? Do you provide them like a stipend so they can buy their own? And how do you handle equipment with offshore? Do you expect them to have their own equipment? How does that work?
1: Our IT team, if they're onshore, the IT team sends our equipment that's, that's dialed up and ready to go. All they need to do is at their home, they need to make sure they've got the internet and power to plug into. Um, for the offshore employees, in a couple of instances, we've gone through, um, they're kind of like quasi-agencies. Um, where they charge us a marked up fee from what the employee gets and they're providing the equipment. And then in the instance where we're hiring direct, uh, they they go and purchase their equipment. Um, and then our IT team has some things that they, some protocols they have to work through just for HIPAA compliance and things like that because we're in the, the healthcare world.
0: Got it. Now, some you know people that haven't done this before may have some concerns. It's like, well, all right, how am I going to pay these people? Are, what are the... I guess, nexus issues, if any, of me hiring these people, whether they're contractors or bring them on as employees. What advice do you have about structure, whether, you know, going through an agency, or if you do hire someone direct, are you just wiring someone money, you know, to compensate them? And just uh, how should you be thinking about that and getting better educated to understand what's the best structure and, and way to start this for your company?
1: That's a great question and very relevant. I had all the same concerns trying to to figure it out. What I found in my research is that if you're working with an agency, you can pay them directly, and most of them ha- end up setting up some type of an entity inside of the United States that you pay. And you're just paying them as a as a contracting firm, just like you know, if you hired any other group to to do some sort of function for you. Um, we have had some success hiring, offshore employees direct. Um, and in doing my research, the 1099 rules don't apply to people who do not live in the United States. And so we literally get their bank instructions. And once a month, we are sending them a bank wire uh, for their the monthly cost or you know the monthly fee that's been negotiated. And then they have tax reporting, depending on which country and which vicinity they're in. Um, but they they're responsible to report taxes um, on their side.
0: When you say direct hire, just to be clear, you're hiring them as a contractor directly. These aren't employees, obviously, of your company. They're just contractors that you've contracted directly with as opposed to going through an agency and paying the agency, that, that's that exactly right? That's exactly right, yep. That's right. Okay, that's what I thought. And, <laughs>
1: and they're offshore, meaning you know they're in the Philippines or in, the Afri- in Africa or in Mexico, um, and that's the way it's handled. Okay. When
0: you do hire people, let's talk about onboarding and training. Um, you know, it's one thing when you can sit down with someone. You know, you got your you know your general ledger program over, and you're sitting down, going through things and pointing through things. Now that you're doing remote, obviously we're in the the, the era of Zoom and whatnot. Any tips and advice for the onboarding process for a completely remote? I mean, someone you've never met personally, right? And facilitating that for your teams.
1: Absolutely. So what we do because what happens is. The out of sight, out of mind thing can happen versus if you see that new employee, you see them struggling because you're in the same office, you can kind of step in and help. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't see that as, as well. And so what we do is we actually build using our monday.com project management tool. And it's a this is something we have our project manager do, but she builds out and goes around the team and says, hey, what are the most important things they know coming on board that will help them be successful here? Some of it's like company history and culture type things. Others are very specific functions and our monthly close process and how we, how we do different things. So we get that all documented and then we assign different members of the team to sit with that new hire and train them on those elements. And so it creates some, you know, bonding and and connection as well as accountability. And, you know, they sign off on each one of those items as you know, the, the new employee or contractor agrees that, yeah, I've been trained on this and, and I get it and I understand it.
0: Got it. So you create a comprehensive checklist and basically schedule of meetings to meet the team over review certain topics that need to be off boarded. And then your project manager helps in the system, you know, getting all those scheduled and they meet with all of them, make sure they got that. And that kind of helps um, meet a whole team. Plus also get the expertise, the necessary uh, data transfer from from person to person.
1: Yep, that's exactly yep. right. Okay. Great. No, uh, it really invests the existing team members. It invests them in the success of the new team member, right? And drives those relationships. And uh, it, it I, I don't know that it's perfect. As if they were sitting next to each other, you know, one one desk next to another. Uh, but it's we've seemed to have covered a lot of ground and closed the gap at least significantly in um, you know them being halfway around the world versus in the next desk over.
0: Great. Let's talk a little bit more specific of your meeting cadence. Cause I think this is a key, um, a key part to making this all work. Uh, tell me about like, do you have daily standups? Cause I, I, mean, I, I imagine this, you know, you get this monday.com, you got all your tasks and schedule and then when the, when the month starts, everyone's got their marching orders, they know what they're doing. Do you have, how do you connect with your team on it? Do you have a cadence of, mm-hmm. I guess, one-on-ones? Is it a daily standup? Is there a recurring you know, maybe hand off to the offshore team every single day where the onshore people are then communicating the needs that they need for, uh, how do you structure that from a meeting standpoint?
1: Yeah. So remembering that I'm not, I'm no longer in the day-to-day details of everything. Mm -hmm. I'm not in a lot of those meetings. Right. Um, Let me tell you a couple things that I do that I've, we almost kind of accidentally fell into, but it's paid huge dividends and it's been a a phenomenal um, outcome. I have a half hour scheduled every week with the entire FP&A team and then a separate meeting with the entire accounting team. And it is called Catch Up With Ken, Accounting Catch Up With Ken FP&A. And I show up and honestly, Anthony, sometimes I bring accounting jokes. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes I'm coming to share some cool updates about an acquisition that we're about to do or about... The, the de novo that just opened last week. And I'll bring some pictures to share with everybody on the team so they can get excited about the new dental practice that was just built that we're supporting and, and how cool the setup is and, and the pictures of the doctor and the staff. So um, that has turned into something that it has become sacred inside of our organization. I would never want to get rid of it. And the employees would never want to get rid of it because. We get together, we talk, we joke, we have fun, we share personal stories sometimes, sometimes there's business updates. Um, we even with the FPNA team recently, because we've just we've been building my FPNA team a year ago was was myself and the and, and one analyst. And now I'm at eight. So there's a lot of new hires there, there's a lot of new things happening. And um we literally said, Hey, let's let's do an assessment on like the most important qualities and attributes that we think would make somebody successful on our team. And we actually created this, um, we we took a, a, a Google Slides, shared it with everybody, and there were 10 columns. And, and, and their names were in, you know, marking each of the rows and on their name, they went through and they ranked themselves how they do at um, having a business partnering mindset, for example, um, where would they rank themselves in their Excel skills? Where do they rank themselves in building narrative out of their analysis that the stakeholders really understand and get value from? And we just did this, it was just a fun activity and then it was amazing because the team brought up like, oh yeah, I really want to learn more about this. Oh, you know more about this. Hey, can you maybe show me what you do on that? And then it helped me as a leader walk away and say, wow, there's some real training opportunities. I'm seeing a consistent deficiency across the board in a couple of different things. And so anyways, I, I could go on and on. These fp and and accounting catch-up meetings have become super valuable in the way we think about, in the way I think about the team and the way I connect with the team and the way the team feels very connected to me.
0: Got it. All right. That's fantastic. Um, I, I I can hear right now that some of some listeners in our audience are probably asking, all right, Ken, so I set up this team and I know you got the monday.com tool, but a big concern they probably have is like, how do I know if I'm driving the team efficiently? Right? Like I'm actually extracting as much because it's easy. You know, if I have someone right next to me, I'm seeing what they're doing. I could see the working aid, a sense for the rhythm. Um, you know, I, I imagine that in a completely remote environment, especially with these off stores, you're just looking at the tasks that you're saying is like, hey, are they accomplishing them? Are they not? But is that really all it is or is there more to
1: it? It really is that. It, it's setting the expectation and then letting them know, hey, if you, if you hit a roadblock, let, let us know. We'll jump in. We'll help. Like we're here to support and serve whatever you need to be successful here. And if somebody's not playing ball the way they should it becomes very apparent very quickly I don't I don't need a time study I don't need anything to tell me that it it sticks out like a sore thumb because they're falling behind relative to the rest of the group and and the group starts to call it out too
0: right okay right so it's all and I love that I love organizations that are based based on deliverables, right? You set clear expectations of what they're supposed to do, empower them with the resources and support that they need, and you just let them execute, right?
1: And there is the tracking software. You may know more about this than I do, because I haven't used it. I've heard about it and I've seen it used in other organizations, but it'll take that screenshot every 15 minutes to prove that they're not on YouTube. And it'll make sure that they're logged in for a minimum of seven hours a day, including like when they they have to log out for lunch and different things like that. Um, we just have not had the need because we have so much work to do and everybody is so slammed and busy. If if one person's not pulling their weight, they, it just every the, the entire organization feels it and right. it becomes obvious that a conversation has to happen.
0: I feel like the need for that software comes from a desire. Like, for example, when you have your first remote hire and you just you have some things for them to do, but maybe you're 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 new to it and you're not comfortable managing in that environment. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to reassure yourself that all right, this guy's actually doing work. I'm paying them for something they're supposed to be done, as opposed to creating a structure and culture and environment where they have clear marching orders on what they're supposed to do, they have enough work. Right to keep them busy for the time that you're you're paying them for, um, I, I and I've I'll be I'll admit that I've used those kind of softwares before, but I I think it's been a function of just me personally, you know you know wanting to use offshore, but not having enough work for them, and just not having honestly enough time to feel like I'm managing them appropriately, right?
1: I yeah I totally agree, and and it's it's an ages and stages where the more experience we get, the more we realize. Yeah, that was a concern. I pro- that's totally invalid. I, I know why I had the concern initially, but I didn't, I didn't even need to have it because there's it's so overcomable. So it's just you have to learn your way through. And if somebody out there's thinking I'm going to do this, start with one employee and just and and dip your toe in the water, get some experience. You'll learn. You'll start to see things, and intuitively you're going to start to react and and create systems that will help help you stay aligned with that employee, help them be successful, and you just keep keep addressing and keep addressing it until all of a sudden, here I am two and a half years later and my team's mostly remote. Right. Um, it's, a, it, it, it's a journey and it's a process. So whatever you need to do to help yourself get comfortable, but then just keep being open and iterate. Okay, let's talk about real quickly, your tech
0: stack. Obviously, you're using Monday.com. That's obviously central, I think, to organizing everything. I'm assuming you're using Zoom, probably Slack, any other communication or tools. Uh, What about like document management, your work papers for your monthly close, all that? Where are you, how are you organizing all that?
1: So we are in, we're a a Google organization. So email is through Gmail, you know, the, the business version of the Gmail. So everything is in Google Drive. We have team drives, uh, for one for the accounting team, one for the fp team, so that all those shared work papers are there and available and searchable. Um, and then um, the rest of the tech stack, like, yeah, we're, everybody gets a Zoom account from day one um, so that they can create meetings, they can obviously participate cleanly in meetings. And then uh, we another big move we made, uh, we were a local install server version of Microsoft Dynamics GP, and we switched over to Sage Intact Uh, went live in october of last year so that's completely in the cloud and that's given us even more flexibility with people not having to vpn into the um to the local server which would be remote to them offshore or you know they're logging in from somewhere else in the country so that's actually become an important part of our tech stack as well
0: got it from uh you know wrapping up here last thing i think is from a culture standpoint i love this you know time with ken thing i think that's a great you know idea on there uh, to increase morale, um, I mean, is there such thing as like a virtual work party? I mean, is that is that kind of like the, the time with Ken thing? Is that what that takes? So I'm just curious, like, how do you you know keep the morale, keep people together? Um, you know, is, are there anything else besides the the time with Ken meeting that you do to kind of facilitate that? Yeah,
1: so um, there are a couple. The first one that came to mind when you started talking was we actually at fairly heavy expense, send all of our remote employees swag whenever whenever it's given out at our corporate facility. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, it's trying to mail uh, a, a t-shirt with the company logo on it to Africa is surprisingly expensive and difficult and, and timely, uh, or I should say slow. <laughs> um, <laughs> But those little tiny gestures go miles in terms of engagement and the, just seeing the employees happy. And it's so amazing. Again, a lot of them are so humble and they're just so happy to be working for this amazing international company in the United States that they take a picture of themselves in this t-shirt that you sent or a hat or whatever the swag was. And they just, they're grinning ear to ear and you just can't help but think, oh, man, I love these people. They're amazing. And, and they, they really want to be a part of us. Um, we haven't done much of the, you know, happy hour with with the team, which I know there are people that do that, like they work from home and, or, or wherever and people will have their drinks or their food and they, they eat dinner together or you know, they try to have that experience on Zoom. We haven't really done much of that. Um, but I, so maybe it's, maybe it's that weekly meeting, uh, that's, that's solving that right. right now. We haven't felt a need it's everybody feels connected enough. And then, you know, like you asked about Slack. I wish we were on Slack. We're, we're on Google chat just because okay. of the whole native Google environment yep. that we have. I would love to switch over to Slack. Uh, but that's a change management project. That's going to be probably a couple of years down the road. Got um, it. But again, right project manager will, will eventually tackle that and figure out how to take that on. It's on the list. So. Got it. Well, Ken, this has been fantastic. I, I want to
0: close with just, just two things. If you could give us maybe your top do and do not with regards to running this remote team, love to kind of give this last uh, you know pearl of wisdom um, as we're uh, embarking, you know, for people that are wanting to embark on this transition or wants to start incorporating more of a remote component to their finance teams.
1: Yeah, so I would say you do not want to abdicate the interviewing process to others because they're offshore versus you're gonna hire them onshore or to work in your facility. You need to be engaged. It's your team. You're you're gonna be held liable and responsible and accountable for what your team does. And so I stay very involved and engaged in the interviewing and hiring process. Do not abdicate it just because they're offshore. You need to, in, in some instances, be more engaged and, and let that process convert you as you meet those employees and or protect, prospective employees. And you can get, like the humility is just oozing out of them through that Zoom interview. And okay. you, you can really start to understand and get it. So don't abdicate any of those responsibilities. And the thing that I would say to do is systems, 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 because sometimes when you have everybody in the office, you can rely too easily on breeze by the office and say, Hey, did you remember this? Do this, do this, do that. It just, it doesn't work here. You're chatting constantly, build your processes and build your systems. And then what? watch your team execute. And then the funnest part is watch them start to figure out how to make your process and system better. Um, that I would say, do that all day long and stay out, stay out of their way because they're going to, they're, they're going to end up building a better system than you did.
0: Got it. Well, Ken, this has been great. I really appreciate your time. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. This is Anthony Castro with the CFO leader.com podcast signing off. We'll see you next time.